0: Hi and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy at Catholic Studies Academy. And today we are going to continue our discussion on Marxism. And uh, well, uh, last time, if it's good, if you uh, before you listen to this one, to go back and listen to our previous one, where we really dove into kind of the historical context of, of Marx and where he was coming from. And we focused on kind of two main philosophical positions that led to uh, Marx and, and um, Marxism, uh, which was cotton idealism and the Hegelian view of history. Uh, and we, we talked also about uh, the materialism of Marx and kind of the, the, the cultural thought that he brought to the, to the forefront, specifically with his ideas of freedom uh, which took on uh, uh, which took a very interesting um, uh, turn. If you've ever listened to any of our other podcasts on freedom, um, and so this week, what we want to do is continue our uh, continue our discussion of Marx and um, kind of, uh, if we have time, get get into his critique of capitalism and maybe even some of his uh, good way to put it, I guess, is eschatology. Uh, so, Doctor Smith. Um, Why don't you get us started today? Where do we want to? Where do we want to go from here?
1: So just a quick, you know, as I said, there's a lot of material in that previous podcast. Uh, So if you haven't heard uh, last week's episode, you want to go ahead and go back and listen to that first. A lot of Hegelian background there. Just to just to kind of refresh here, kind of get us oriented. Probably the most important contribution of Hegel to Marx. There's a couple of them, but probably at least one of them that's important to keep in mind is. the view that uh, Hegel had that Geist, that is human spirit, or Mm -hmm. the human spirit, um, is really all about freedom. Uh, Freedom understood in a kind of Kantian way, which means um, deciding and choosing your life and making choices on the basis of a kind of universal um, perspective that's free from particular attachments, particular desires, uh, or natural inclinations or anything like that. It's really, it's a, it's a kind of choosing that's beyond nature and beyond culture and beyond history, right? Uh, that's the kind of freedom that Hegel has in mind. And he sees that as the fullest realization of the human spirit mm-hmm. that goes along with a view of history. This is, again, Hegel, in which he sees history as the working out through certain ideas of freedom, Right. So Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. history is really about is the realization of the kind of freedom I was just discussing Um, and that when history reaches its culmination, Mm -hmm. that kind of freedom will be realized both subjectively and objectively. That is both within the lives of individuals, but also within a social, economic and political um, domain, right, in which that kind of universal freedom beyond history and beyond nature becomes sort of manifest and realized. So that's the big sort of sweeping picture that Hegel lays out. It's that that's what really get got people excited about Hegel, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. That that he had this kind of you know I I would call it a kind of a secular eschatology um, in -hmm. which you know he gave meaning to history. You could find the meaning of your own life, your own relationships, your own struggles within that big story, right? Right. Right. Um, the, one of the you know, very fine philosophers of the 20th and 21st century, the philosopher named Alistair McIntyre, in, in one of his works, uh, as several of his works, he advances the theme that um, that human beings, for the most part, understand themselves within a particular narrative. That mm-hmm. is, the, the narrative that we adopt for ourselves for ourselves is the is the is the framework through which we understand our own lives and the world around us. It's an interesting view, uh, and I think it seems something, something correct about it. Hegel gives you that kind of meta-narrative about history and about your own life, right? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Even, uh, yeah, I was going to say, even St. Augustine, um,
0: yeah. he, in his first catechetical instruction, there's a, a catechist who's like, I don't even know where to begin on bringing these people to Christianity, and he says, right. begin with the narratio. Mm-hmm. Begin with the story, you know, that's right, like that's, right. that's, so I mean, it's not, it's so like you said, it, it's, especially for those that are maybe, you know, not Christian or, or not Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very, that's kind of a universal kind of attractive piece to us, is, sure. the, is that we're, is that we belong to something, we belong
1: mm-hmm. to this story, to this, we have a part to play in this story. That's right. Yes, exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Marx picks up on this. Uh, although he has an alter- alternative narrative, right? That is, he basically inverts the Hegelian view. So the Hegelian view is freedom, the development of freedom through the history of ideas, right? right. Through the history of philosophy. For Marx, it is the development of freedom, yeah. right? But through the history of material conditions. Mm-hmm. that's why that's why he calls his philosophy the material dialectic right, right, right as right. distinct from uh, uh, or in contrast to the idealist dialectic right we have the clash of ideas which you have instead and marxism the class clash of uh material conditions uh so that that's really how marx kind of develops out of um of uh, hegel and he does so uh by making a couple of very important little changes, right? And that mm-hmm. these are, they're tweaks on the system, but they transform the whole system. So one is that in, in terms of identity here, he thinks that identity is entirely made up of our social relationships,
0: right?
1: And that our uh, social value and that our freedom is expressed and realized in our productivity, in our material uh creations of things so he talks about like what really distinguishes man from the animals it's a you know classic philosophical question yeah. uh you know and uh marx knew that but he gives a different answer than other people have ever given it's being makes things right uh, that, that's, what, <laughs> that's what that that is what distinguishes us is we're tool makers right yeah. um and then of course he's correct right i mean it's a couple of the other animal a couple of species make extremely primitive tools Uh, but, uh, you know, nothing like the microphone in front of my face or the glasses that I'm wearing or the earphones on my head, right? I mean, it's just totally, you know, categories of difference, right? Using a rock as
0: a hammer is a little different.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. So um, uh, this is how Marx really transforms, right, again, idealism into the material dialectic. He says, you know, you are the sum of your social relations. So you're entirely defined by your social function and your place in that social function is determined by your productivity right. uh, and freedom, right? So either you're free within the social system because you're productive, or you are servile and slavish within that social system because of your lack of production. So right. those those two theses always go together: social definition and and freedom as production. Um, any any thoughts about that or anything? Yeah, like yeah, that yeah.
0: I just want to highlight for our listeners that I, the, the idea that, you know, you are your, like the, the reduction of the dignity of the human person or just the reduction of the human person to simply their social relationships that, that a, that's, that's a very frightening idea, but it's one that, but it's one that whether, whether it's framed that way or not, it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, um, kind of like Pope Benedict used to talk about a practical atheism, like we may not be overtly atheistic culture, but we're practically. Uh, uh, I think that's, I think that's, uh, that has a lot to do with kind of the culture we live in today. Uh, And it's something that uh, as Catholics, we need to push back against that, that. No, you are not, you are not just the sum of your social relationships. You are not just defined by those things you uh, the, the uh, human person is, is so much more than that and you have to find your identity uh sure. um uh the the one who created you not in you know just your relationships not to it. not to even get into like you know well your social relationships are based on your production like <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. oh yeah. goodness yeah you go down a whole nother whole nother thing there it's, uh, it's but key. you can
1: see it's where it's here. yeah yeah what you're saying is key jason i mean uh, the if we think about yourself to, uh primarily in terms of social relations right i mean it's just uh not primarily but exclusively right yeah um, yeah yeah Then you're you're um you're really on the wrong track and it, like to follow up on your thought there, you're 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 practically denying the reality of god and creation and the creator creature distinction and relationship right um you know like what we have fundamentally understand ourselves as within a christian perspective and worldview is that is not? It's not that work's unimportant. It's just that work is not work. Neither work nor social relations are our highest or most fundamental identity.
0: Yeah. Nor the nor can they capture. I think you know just the you know who the human person is. And mm-hmm. and when you and when we do. And that and that's the thing was you know with social media. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying it's bad. Um, just saying it's a tool like anything else. <laughs> but you can. Yeah, I mean, you can use a hammer for anything, True. right? So. So it's so it's one of those things where it, it you know, I think that aspect of, of Marxism is, you know, again, whether it's identified as that or not, it's it seems to find its way into our culture. Uh mm-hmm. and so I think with with anything, we need to uh, you know, really push back against things like, you know, identity politics, you know, or you know, the idea that, you know, every choice is a binary choice, you know, like And, and, you know, either, either you're this or you're that like, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no kind of, you know, range of things. So Mm -hmm. I think for our listeners, that's something huge to pick up on uh, in the current uh, discussions and and talking points uh, that that we
1: encounter today. Sure. Yeah. Actually, I mean, the, the idea about the, the idea of the social construction of consciousness is extremely important. I mean, it's, it's very alive today that, that, you know it was really uh, not to go too far off here but uh that was really advanced by the frankfurt school of socialism which was mm-hmm. a later instantiation of marxism uh, i said socialism would say marxism so it's kind of a sometimes called western marxism yeah uh, but um that that uh you know became very important um uh, in the united states of america uh people like saul alinsky you know promoters of it um the um uh, so it, what you're saying is uh, key, right? Is that that uh, um, this this anthropology, right? Yeah, yeah. It's diametrically um, incompatible with Christianity, uh, Christianity yeah. right? Uh, I think it's just really key to see that. Yeah, uh, You're right about that. So one other uh, element you want to add here is once you've accepted these two theses, right, then this brings to the fore the importance of the means of production. Um, Right. Because if your freedom and your status are dependent on your productivity, then it is absolutely key that you have access to the means of production. Uh, If you can't um, be productive, uh, then you're not going to be realizing your freedom and you're not going to be uh, and you're going to lose your social value. And so um, whoever owns the means of production or has access to the means of production um, really is the one who is. Uh, free Now, of course, yeah. Marx recognized in his own day in society that many people didn't have access to the means of production directly, but only indirectly. And this brought out, he thought, among, there's a lot of strains in Marxism, but one important strain is this brings out, uh, in his view, the alienation that's experienced within um, industrial capitalist society where people are alienated from their freedoms. So what doesn't mean to be alienated, right? You, know, you might remember in the United States Constitution, or the De- uh, Declaration of Independence, Right. we have inalienable rights, right? Uh, what that means is separated from. So this is kind of, actually, this is meant to be old technical language, uh, legal language. Sure. To be alienated from your property means to be separated from your property, right? Uh, to have inalienable rights, or to have rights that, you, that uh, uh, you're not separated from. So, uh, when Marx is using the term, term uh, alienation there, he's talking about us being separated from our own freedom and therefore from our own social value. Um, yeah. And so that's what we experience when we don't have the means of production. You know, it's important to see how, like, how, how crucial that is, right? You're yeah. not going to really get to be, you're going to be degraded and servile if you don't have access to the means of production, Right. right. Um, so that's a it's a that's a uh, important thing that that we're going to find uh, uh, utilized in his critique. But first, you have to realize the positive value of the means of production, tools, uh, machinery, all that sort of stuff, is of key importance uh, because right of the emphasis that Marx puts on uh, productivity and social value. Mm-hmm. So what we want to add, I think, today especially is uh, in this episode is to look uh, at what he has to say about culture and what he has to say uh, about history. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot here, <laughs> culture. So one of the thing, uh, let's start with culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've built up now a view of the human person. We've built up a view of uh, the importance of machinery, tools, technology, right? Think about how unusual that is in philosophy to talk about such things, right? Like machinery is not something that people talk about hardly ever. <laughs> <in philosophy, laughs> ever. Yeah. Right? I mean, Aristotle talks a little bit here and there about it, Plato, a little bit here and there, but it's just not a theme Where is it a major theme, right? In the work of uh, Marx. He also develops a very robust view of culture mm-hmm. that goes with this. Um and so uh, an important distinction to learn is the distinction between structure and superstructure uh so the structure of any society so once you start thinking this way, right, you start to realize, okay, if we accept the anthropology and we accept the importance of technology, then what we learn is that the structure of society the real structure of society yeah is based on relations of production, right? So either, the the fundamental distinction is either you are someone who has access to the uh, means of production or not, Mm -hmm. right? If you have access to the means of production, then you are free and non-servile. You might be less, you know, free and have less dignity than another, right? But even that comparison is gonna be based on your access to the means of production and your work right? right. That will, of course, put put you in stark contrast to those who lack the means of production and therefore are servile. Um, That's the real, so this is so key, that's the real structure of society. Whether we're talking about churches, or families, or neighborhoods, or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. Um, All of that all of that is really about all of those relationships are reducible to um relationships of production mm. right? um, so when you're thinking about say your work or your family right so he has a, a thing he wrote when he was young called the holy family uh in which he critiques traditional family structure as being inherently exploitative right uh because of the kind of hierarchical relationship between husbands and wives and men and women within, uh, the family at that time. Um, and of course, you know, he thinks basically, look, this is just a perfect example of, right. Uh, what we have here are relations of production, right? Who owns the, the, the means of production here, yeah. uh, the husband does, not the wife. And I think, in, you know, the German law at that time, that's the way it was. And so, you know, basically that reduces the wife to a servile position. Um, and so, we could, we could go through anything like that. Look at companies, look at uh, yeah. uh, churches, all those sorts of things, right? Um, you know, look at the Catholic church, right? In, in a church, right, you have the producers who are priests, right? They produce the sacred things. Uh, and then there's those who receive the sacred things, but can't produce them, right? Well, you know, basically that makes the laity, right? You know, sort of servile vis-a-vis um, the priest, right? Um, yeah. So you can see how you can apply this kind of almost to anything, right?
0: Yeah. And why, why is this such a big deal for Marx and just, I mean, every single, or from what I know, every single strain of Marxism and socialism that there always has to be these two opposing forces, the oppressed mm-hmm. and the oppressor, or, yeah. you know, like there always has to be this, this, this tension, you know, yeah. there 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 can't be, you know, harmony between <laughs> these two, like, yeah, I mean that's that's never that never comes up. Like, but mm-hmm. it just seems like an essential, um, just uh, structure of his whole thought is that there's always going to be yeah. these opposing forces—not yeah. good and evil, but just kind of like again, his is based on materialism. You know, mm-hmm. why is that? Or and, and this is not necessarily unique to Marx. I mean, it's found in sure. a lot of other places. Why do you think that is?
1: I think, from so to take Marx's perspective on it, I think. So lots of times like I think you can find in, in sort of papal or like 19th century papal social teaching and early 20th century social teaching kind of like um, a riposte or reply to Marxism is what you're talking about where you have hierarchy and harmony, right? So yeah. you have differentiation of roles, but all those things work together, right? Yeah. So if you look at say uh, there are different Catholic alternatives to Marxism that were developed like syndicalism or distributivism yeah in both of those kinds of views there's kind of this idea of well there can be inequality but that inequality um uh, contributes to the good of the whole right that kind of thing um the um uh, with marx i think it, he sees it as a it, it simply is it's it has to do with the logic of material possession yeah right that is you know, either you have access to the means of production or you do not. That's a binary. That's a either, or it is, or is not. And once you set that up, right. If you fall on one side of that, you're exploited. And if you fall on the other side of that, you're exploiter. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, then maybe you could say, well, within that, okay, maybe you own the means of production. I own the means of production, but you own a lot more than I do. Well, okay. Like, but still like you're, you're higher than I am because you have more right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not as bad as like those poor servile people who have none, right? <laughs> uh, hence the middle class, right? The bourgeois, yeah. right? Sure. Uh, yeah. Who definitely want to hold on to, right? Their kind of modicum status where they're not totally servile, even if they're not sort of lordly capitalist, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it has to do with that. You know, um, it, it's, it's about, it's not about a spiritual cooperation uh, it's about uh, material possession, and yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, at the end of the day, Marx thinks private property degrades the human spirit for that reason. Um, that it, it's that I have and you don't, right? Yeah. That um, creates the situation, right, in which there is this dialectical opposition. See, if you if you got rid of private property and private ownership, right? Marx thinks that you dissolve that dialectic.
0: Yeah, everything <laughs> becomes equal, right? It's not, everything becomes
1: it. equal. It's it's not that I have and you don't. It's we. Yeah, right?
0: just yeah. some are more
1: equal. We than have access. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe under the dictatorship of the proletariat, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: and and j- just for our listeners, th- these kind of ideas, you know, found them found their way into. You know, Catholic theology with you know liberation theology and uh, uh, some of the other ones that uh, Doctor Smith mentioned there.
1: Um, and, uh, and all and all throughout, the, yeah. That, that was con- uh, was liberation theology condemned? I just was curious. Yeah, several times. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's.
0: If you ever want one, one of my favorite images of Pope John Paul II is when uh, I forget the guy's name now, but he it's like as soon as John Paul II gets off a plane and he sees this priest and he has his hand, he's got his finger in the priest's face, just letting him have it, mm-hmm. um, because he was he was a big proponent of liberation theology, and he was actually trying to, like, run for political office or something like that <laughs> as a priest. Uh, uh, yeah, so it was, it was yeah, horrible. And, yes, it has been condemned. Goodness, um, goodness. Uh, but even in, but but I'll throw this out there, not to get too off topic, but even in, in catechetics, um, mm-hmm. Marxist ideas and Marxist influence uh, uh, came into effect to where, you know, uh, and there's even you know one prominent uh, catechetical the- catechetical theorist out there, Thomas Groom, who people still absolutely love. He still t- teaches, I think, up at Boston uh, College. And his whole you know, and his whole thing is we need to put our story and the Christian story in this tension, mm-hmm. uh, um, okay, and then okay. when they right. kind of work them so, so work, them, work them work them work themselves out somehow All into right. some kind of version of Christianity that is this, you know, it's, yeah, it's that's convoluted. A, 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 catechetical
1: dialectic. Yeah. It, it, it really,
0: well, it really is. I mean, and it, and the, yeah. I mean, when you have to write, you know, 600 pages on a methodology, I think there's something <laughs> flawed there, but, but the, but, but a big thing, I mean, and the thing is, is he says, you know, himself that, you know, he, he gives credit to a, a, a Marxist philosopher named Paulo Freire. Again, Mm-hmm. You know, bringing, bringing these things into tension, that this, mm-hmm. this is how we understand uh, the world. This is our, our worldview, that there's, you know, the oppressed and the oppressor, that there's, uh, um, that this is, we, we kind of just take this as a matter of fact and uh, see how it works out, you know. And, and again, it's, it's like like Marx, it's such a materialistic view it of is. just the entire, not just, you know, the, the world, but but the human person
1: mm-hmm.
0: work uh, um, no no sort of you know consideration of the spiritual side of things like leisure I mean just completely ignoring you know several hundred years thousand years of philosophy you know like
1: sure sure yeah and rejecting it too I mean uh, yeah Marx is very clear about that right truth without action is not truth um and, uh, you know, the whole contemplative side of the human person, like we talked about last time, is yeah. just left out yeah, in, a, in a Marxist account. And, it, and this is true in, in his view of, of culture. So if you accept, yeah. right, that the, the social organization is based really on relations of production, then you can ask, well, what about culture? Because you might say something like, well... We have ideas, this is how Hegel would approach it. We have ideas about private property or the dignity of man. And that helps us to structure our society and economic relations. Marx says, incorrect. The, the relationship is entirely inverse, right? Or as I say, is the reverse. Um, that is, the material conditions and relations of production, being consistent materialist, Determine your cultural uh, norms. Determine your consciousness. Determine your ideas. Right? You have the ideas you have, Jason, about uh, private property and hard and the value of hard work because you're bourgeois, right? That is because you are a property. You you have access to the means of production at a low level, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, relatively low level, but you still have it. Yeah. Uh, you own your own home, right? That sort of thing. Well, as such, you know, you qualify as bourgeois, right? You are a property owner, a small property owner. And because of that, you value your you value private property, right? Yeah. It's, it's your material conditions that cause you to value private property. You believe in this abstract right to private property because that keeps you from falling into a servile position, right? We I mean, see, it's not the, it's not a belief in private property that motivates your, your, your ownership of things, right? Right, it's, it's rather, what conditions. Yeah. yeah, it's your ownership of things that motivates your belief in private property, right? And if you were part of the servile class, right, uh, you might not have such a high view of private property. You'd probably think, hey, it's, it should belong to everybody, right? So uh, that, that's an example, right, of um, the idea that um, that culture, right, is driven by um, uh, the real structure. So culture is considered the superstructure. So here you should think of superstructure not as like super as in determining or higher, but rather kind mm-hmm. of like froth on the sea. It's kind of like... It's, it's what's on top, right? Uh, kind of like in a building, right? You might have like, like the difference between say being an engineer and being an architect, right? The engineer is the one that creates the structure that upholds everything, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the architect is who makes it pretty, right? Sorry yeah. to insult any architects out there. But <laughs> <laughs> makes it, uh, gives it good design, right? Uh, and makes it attractive. Um, so that's kind of like what, what philosophers, theologians, poets, artists, all those sorts of people, right? What they are doing really is expressing ideas that are conditioned by a, a more fundamental structure, right? Yeah. and that's the structure of the means of uh, production. Let me give you another example of this. Um, let's say the myth of the old west, right? So if I was, a, if you were a Marxist critic, one of the things that you would, uh, you know, sort of critique about the United States of America, right, is the myth of the old west, mm-hmm. right. In which you have, you know, the brave pioneer family, or the slightly roguish but good, um, you know, lawman or uh, independent loner gunfighter. Standing up for justice. Just say John Wayne. Just say John Wayne. We'll know what you mean. (laughs) Standing up for justice, (laughs) right, et cetera. So when John Ford is making those movies, it stars John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he's doing is he's perpetuating a mythos that justifies and aggrandizes. Uh, American individualism, right? Mm. Do you see how that works? Yeah. Right, so, so John. Of course, now, now, as if like Marx is saying, "Oh, John Ford is sitting around plotting this out like it's <laughs> like it's a sinister conspiracy." It's just this is the way we are, right? Yeah, our yeah, yeah. Create is conditioned by those underlying uh, structures, right? Of economics, and and from that, our conscious produces stories, ideas. Uh, myths that perpetuate that structure that we experience. Right.
0: What about what about religion? Does religion have any place in culture, or how does how does Marx view religion then as coming uh, yeah, yeah, from it's, or, or its place in culture? How does he see it?
1: Well, he very clearly says that for most people, it's the opium of the people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is, and it, it's 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 there to basically it provides a kind of spiritual consolation or material exploitation. So you might, your experience might be that you're part of the exploited, but you have this vision of heaven, this vision of a spiritual reality, you know, in which you're told, right, that it's blessed to be poor and that detachment from material goods is excellent. I was just reading uh, this morning, um, it's Colossians chapter three, right? So if you've died with Christ, right, and you you know you've already been buried with Him, uh, then you're to have your mind on heavenly things, and not things of this earth, right? Um, because that's where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, I mean, Mark's looking at that would say, and you know, that's a good way. That's a way to if you're one of the exploited to. Um, solve your alienation right yeah by spiritual consolation and if you're the employer right you could say well you know i mean let's keep our mind on heavenly things folks uh let's not you know don't uh, worry about your 18 hour work that's right let's not worry about alienation our minds are on heavenly things right so it actually provides a kind of consolation both for the uh certainly for the exploited um but even a kind of uh Uh, kind of excuse or distraction diversion right Mm -hmm. for the exploiter and of course also if you include any kind of view of providence right you might also say you know providence kind of gives the stamp here it's it's god's will that i'm the king or the prince or the factory owner or the shop owner right um you know thanks be to god that he gave me these things so instead Mm -hmm. of seeing it uh, my ownership as a As a outcome for the competition for access to the means of production, (laughs) which I should. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's a lot to say. (laughs) Um, uh, Instead of seeing it that way, I see it as the working out of divine providence. So it's like you can like yeah, there's a big critique of religion uh, packed into uh, Marxism, and again, you have to just basically accept it's true once you accept some of these materialistic premises, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. The superstructure, structure structure, uh, view of culture. This also entails a view of history, which I can kind of explain, I think, uh, a little more quickly. Which is just that, you know, if you accept that structure, superstructure, right? Mm -hmm. You know, similarly, what's history really about? History is really about um, the change in the means of production, right? So as relations of production change, so let I me mean, back up even more basically, as the means of production change, mm-hmm. then relationships of production change, and and then culture and consciousness changes, right? Mm, yeah. so you see, it kind of works its way up, right? Marx right. very clearly said, you know, Hegel wanted to go from, you know, a heavenly mind down to the concrete individual. And, you know, um, you know Marx says, no, we invert that, we go from... Yeah. You know the things of the earth to up right uh and so uh, yeah it sounds like the tower of Babel to me <laughs> the um that's just your religious consciousness speaking yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for uh, explaining it to me I that's right yeah no, no I, just, yeah, now I can work towards real freedom that's right work um <laughs> the um so um you know, as the means of production change, right? It's just, it's a fascinating way of thinking technology really is the driver here, right? As tech changes, as the tools change, that changes social relationships. And then as social relationships change that changes, um, uh, your culture and your consciousness, give a very good example of this. Um, you know uh, uh one brief and one a little bit longer. one example of this would be uh think about when intensive human labor with primitive tools is the primary form of production yeah. within that you know Marx is not surprised uh that that slavery becomes the norm uh because you the because of the the in the because the inefficiency right of working in that way right yeah 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 uh, that for anyone to have much of a surplus they're gonna have to uh, a surplus which allows them right any kind of leisure or anything like that uh if anybody's gonna have much freedom beyond just staying alive they're going to need to um um, um subordinate others right uh at the lowest cost possible which would of course be uh include uh slavery so he's not surprised that under the certain material conditions that that's what occurs. A more instructive example though, even would be, uh, the example, um, between, um, when small artisans, right. That is when peace crafts, craft artisans were replaced by industrial production. Mm. So prior to the industrial revolution, yeah. you could be a weaver, or you could be say, um, a gunsmith, right. And what you did as a gunsmith, right, is you, you did all of the things required. You might have used a, a little bit of help from other craftsmen, but you produced one um, musket at a time. And each yeah. musket, primarily uh, the uh, product of your labor, right? Mm-hmm. And you could, because, uh, because of the scarcity of such items, you could have a, a fairly decent, a small but uh, or medium-sized um, kind of prosperity right, a kind right. of property, right? And standing within the community, right? You think about especially the United States of America and England where small craftsmen are so important, right? I mean, they, they really have this kind of standing. You think about somebody like, uh, you know, Paul Revere, uh, you know, just, you know he, he makes, you know, dishes and cups and, you know, like he's a silversmith and a pewter smith, right? That's, that's kind of like that ideal, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, we uh, think about the weaver in England, right? And this is very instructive you know, the weavers were usually people in a community, and this had gone on for really generations, right? Where if you could afford to get it by a loom and learn how to work it, you could actually make, uh again, you're not gonna become rich, but you're gonna, you know, have a, what we would consider good middle-class, you mm-hmm. know, existence, right? Um, well, along comes industrialization, right? And, mm-hmm. Weaver, that loom, you might as well just set it on fire, right? Because all it's good. I mean, that thing went from literally, it could go from in a matter of one year being a piece of machinery of incredible value, Mm -hmm. right? To a year later being firewood, right? And you think about that, you might think, okay, well, that's just technology. (laughs) Tell that to the weaver. That weaver has just lost his place in society. He is no longer free. He is no longer has that position of dignity in his society, right? Like that that changed his social relations. What does he have to do? Well, I'll tell you what the weavers did is they tried to burn down some of the textile. <laughs> in, uh, That's uh, one in way. Even. Yeah, you understand why, <laughs> right? It's ineffective, yeah. ultimately. Um, but the, uh, but you know, what do they do? Well, they have to move to the city and become a laborer, right? Yep. So you go from being, uh, living in a village where you have a certain amount of respect and a certain uh, livelihood to, you know, in Marx's view being a wage slave in an, a, um, factory in squalid conditions in London or someplace like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you can see this, you know, even today, like, um, you know, there was the, um, I forget the whole kind of scandal thing, but it was, uh, there was a comment that was made and it became just a, a kind of a meme that blew up, uh, but it was when they were talking about um, shutting down all these coal mines and stuff. And they're uh, like, you know, uh, well, uh, what are these people going to do? And they just said, learn to code. And so yeah. that became, that became a meme was learn to code, you know, like, you know, like, well, you just got to, you know, move on, you know, uh-huh. moving, you know, in, in a figurative sense, you know, move into the city, become a laborer uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. And, and do something else. But it was, but again, like you said, that, um, with with industrialization i mean it literally uh, it turned things that were the means of production to like today you know if you can weave that's a hobby
1: yeah that's right you know
0: it used to be the means of you know that used to be the the,
1: the livelihood yeah the
0: livelihood of some people and today Mm -hmm. it's a hobby you know so it's it it is you know and and things like that have you know very difficult uh um Mm -hmm just bringing difficult problems for, for yeah. society. So. Yeah,
1: and I think he got to give Marx uh, uh, his point here, right, uh, to some degree. I mean, I think he's right that like industrialization was, you know, you could from a, uh, I mean, he's right up to a point, he's yeah. very wrong past that point, but he's right up to a point that industrialization carried with it enormous cultural and social damage. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The people and uh, and that, and it's probably the case that that societies and governments and various authorities were not sufficiently um, uh, aware of that. You know, I mean, you could just say, "Well, look, we, we we increased the production of cloth by you know so many you know percentage points, and that's all that matters." Well, yeah, I mean, the, like the it might be true that you increase production that much. It's also not true that that's all that matters. Right? Yeah, exactly. There other uh, things in, no, involved here. And I think unless, it's hard for us to, to, to realize, because we're so used to machine production, right? We don't even know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our factories don't exist in America anymore. Some do still, right? But, um, you know, like machine production is just so much part of our culture, right? Automated yeah. production that we don't even think about what a radical change that was. Now, in the big picture, you could maybe say, a change for the better uh and you know far less humans have to do this kind of toilsome work um you know but you know it's it's, it's a matter of debate anyways yeah
0: <laughs> yeah but but i think it's it from the from the marxist perspective though it, like you just have to roll with it because this is again if you have that hegelian view of history yes you know we just have to understand okay we are we are in this we are in this process towards freedom and right, you know right. you just happen to be at one of the bad stages and <laughs> you got but, but it's important but where you will find your freedom is if you realize your importance for this uh for the realization of this this freedom that is our goal that's right, um, that's right. you yeah. know and once you f-
1: understand that you can be yeah that's true and one of the one of the key points is the proletariat right is that uh, as we'll see is the proletariat is this disenfranchised group that he sees as advancing history and sort of realizing its own dignity in its advancing of history. Interestingly, as much as he recognizes the damage done by the industrial revolution, uh, he also thinks that the move to industrial capitalism was in fact uh, a necessary stage. That is, we needed to go beyond a tradition based inheritance based custom based Right. Uh, form of the means of production to a means of production that was um uh actually competitive and unleashed productive powers that hadn't been there before mm-hmm. that sets the stage he thinks for uh socialism and eventually full communism um uh as, as sort of the, the full outcome right of things um do we how much time do uh, now, how much time it- do we
0: yeah, I was gonna say we got about twenty minutes left. Do you think we can okay. go through yeah. his critique of capitalism? Or? I
1: think we can, and then we can maybe expand on it. So let's say capitalism is a part of uh, um, the di- material dialectic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a stage, um, but it's also a stage that has to is a necessary stage and a stage that has to be overcome, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, Marx believes inevitably will be overcome because it's necessary in the material dialectic right um the what we're looking at is a more is a greater and greater extent of productive freedom right and that and capitalism plays a role in uh in, in bringing that about at the same time it um, um is say has features that thwart human freedom and therefore uh need to be overcome so let's think about that what is what sure. first we need to understand the marxist Uh, understanding of capitalism. Mm -hmm. So lots of times when when those who don't study political philosophy hear the word capitalism, they think equals private property or capitalism means uh, voluntary market exchanges. I think, you know, uh, both of those things are intimately connected to capitalism, but that's not exactly what Marx has in view here. What Marx uh, has in view when he talks about capitalism is uh, an economic system an economic structure in which the capitalists own all of the means of production. Capitalist then uh, becomes the real question: like, what is a capitalist? Who is a capitalist? Right? Yeah. And that requires you to understand what is capital. Right. So a capitalist is somebody who owns capital. Okay. Fine. So what's what capital? Right. Yeah. <laughs> das Kapital is Marx's great gigantic economic work. Right. Um. And, you know, essentially in capital uh, what, what Marx thinks of as capital is a kind of an excess resource um, that allows you to um, own the means of production and to um, create, at least in the minds of capitalists, wealth. Right, mm-hmm. so capital could be a forest, right? If you own a forest, right, then you think about all of the economic relations that you can create through the ownership of that forest. Right? Sure, yeah, you, you right. That's a that's a think about cap. Uh, the the Latin term capitas, right, or is the is the root here. So it's a, it's a it can mean head, like it's the beginning yeah. of, right? This whole process of economic relations. So if you own the wood, like a, a forest, right? that Those trees can be cut down, they can be, uh, that's gonna involve uh, an economic relationship between the timber company, right? And the landowner, then the timber company can sell it to a mill, right? The mill can uh, turn it into usable lumber, The lumber can be sold to the furniture maker, right? All of that. You see, you see how that all works. It's kind of of cascading down, right? But each step it's the person that, that has either the machinery or the resource, right? Mm -hmm. It could also be the banker who loans you money to buy, right? The forest, do you see? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's got like extra resources, so it could be money, right? So capital can be lots of different things, but it's something that's over and above the needs for just staying alive, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Because if you just have, if I'm the banker and I've just got enough money to stay alive, I'm not going to loan you any money. I'm going to be a pretty bad. banker, <laughs> right? um, uh, does, that, does that make sense? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's some it's an, an excess of resources that's above your needs for life that you can then turn around. And make the source of creating various economic relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And the that's source common. of exploitation. Right?
1: right. That's right. Yes. So this sets up an exploita- exploitative structure. Because you yeah. can say, well, what's so bad about that? Um, in one way, I mean, you know, from a, uh, maybe a typical American point of view, you might say, well, it just sounds like investment, you know, and, uh, you know, production and, and all that sort of thing. Right. You, get a loan, take a risk on taking a loan, you try yeah. to create a productive business out of it, et cetera, right? Sounds, sounds you know, entrepreneurial, right? right. Um, the uh, Marxist critics will would, would say, no, it's not. And the reason is, is that it involves then a um, monopolization of the means of production mm-hmm. by a particular class of people, namely the yeah. capital. Right. So that if you don't have the situation in which you own capital in a capitalist system, then you don't have direct access or control of the means of production. This creates what's called the separation of capital and labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that you have left then that's of economic value to the economic structure is the um, expenditure of your, inner, your 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 personal energy and time. Right, do you follow that? Yeah, yeah. So so you don't have the means of production, right? Like I, I don't own the lumber mill. I don't own the forest. All I can do is do what sell the saw. Yeah, or I can yeah, I I sell my energy, right, on the labor market. We even call it the labor market still, right? Treat it as if it's a commodity, right? And of course, it's in the interest of the capitalist to buy that commodity at the lowest price available. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go and I cut down all the trees. Let's say you're the, you're the, 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 uh, uh, lumber company owner. Right. And you hire me and 10 other guys and we go out there and we're doing, we're taking all the risk, right. The trees fall on us. We're using the chainsaws. We're cutting it all down. Right. It's our expenditure of time and energy, right. That is bringing about this change in the forest into, uh, lumber. Right. But uh, we don't, we're doing that really not as an act of our own freedom, but as really instruments of your productivity, right? Because you own the chainsaws, right? And Uh, because you you own own all the, the,
0: yeah, and because I own all the chainsaws, you're forced, to come to me if you want to cut the tree down. That's right. If you want to That's do right. those things, yeah. so it's yeah. it's yeah. So by right. controlling the 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 means of labor, mm. then I have the I essentially turn you into you know I exploit you as a worker. That's right.
1: Yeah, and and Marx uses the term wage slave, right? I yeah. get a wage, so I feel like I'm free, right? You could say, yeah. oh, you're yeah, a slave. I pay you, and it works as little as possible, right? Uh, what the market will bear, right? And yeah. It's not as if I really have a choice. So what you, you know, so yeah, what, yeah. you know, somebody might say in response is Mark's wait a second. That's a free. That's a freely. You entered that contract freely, right? Uh, yeah, he would say no. lumberjack, and, and and so this is an exercise of his freedom. And Mark would say no, right? He didn't own the means of production, and therefore he had to um, barter away his labor, right, uh, to someone else, right. Um, so really, uh, it's I'm not free. I have, I'm having to conform to structures and relationships outside of my own will, right? Mm. There's a little Hegelian flavor to that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's two sides of this that are exploitative. One, I become degraded, in the sense that I have to sell my labor to you. Literally, while I'm on the clock, right, I'm like a mm-hmm. shovel in your hands, right. I am. I have. I am not. My labor is no longer. An expression of my freedom, my autonomy, my human spirit, right? Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, how many, uh, I, I don't think we should be cutting these trees down this way. I think we should be doing it this way, right? Like, yeah. You know, like, right, All that's an expression of this isn't mine. I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm an instrument, right, in the hands of the capitalist. So that whole, while I'm on the on the clock for those eight hours or whatever it is, uh, I am merely an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm therefore degraded in my human spirit. Second, uh, Marx has what is called uh, uh, the labor theory of value. Um, Now, this is, uh, I don't want to go into the weeds here too much, but basically labor theory of value is the view that labor creates value um, in the object, in the artifact. Most economists today reject the labor theory of value. Interestingly, the labor theory of value was held by both Adam Smith and Karl Marx, (laughs) <laughs> who don't agree on lots of things, but agree on the <laughs> theory of value. Um, uh, most economists today hold what's called a market theory of value, mm-hmm. right? That is that uh, the demand relative to supply is what creates the value of the uh, product mm-hmm. or service. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's an interesting argument people can have on their own. Okay. Uh, I don't want to stake stick out any claims about that. Sure. Mark certainly thought about the labor theory of value and Um, the, or not just thought of it, that's what he endorsed. And so I, as, so let's go from lumber. So we go from the trees to the lumber, going back to me as a lumberjack. If I'm the lumberjack, right. And I, I'm creating a situation in which through my labor that the forest can now be sold, right. The, or the wood for that can be sold at a higher price, especially over time so that both the, the lumberjack owner or so the lumber company owner and the landowner make more money, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't really sell a tree one at a time, right? Yeah. For a property, right? Uh, and then you know, down the line, as you go to the mill worker who turns that rough lumber, raw lumber into uh, timber that can, or r- raw timber that can be turned into lumber, excuse me. And then mm-hmm. the lumber that can then be turned into a chair, right, yeah. all along the line, it's the, it's the workers, right, who don't own the means of production, it's the labor that's creating, right, the, val- the creating value in the object. The object is, the product is getting more and more valuable, right? Um, raw timber is not as valuable per pound as uh, well-made furniture, right? Sure, sure. And so, and and who and how does that greater value come about? Through labor, right? Yeah. And so, but, but because, the because the carpenter and the lumberjack don't own the means of production. They're only compensated at the lowest possible uh, value from the labor market. Right. Uh, where, um, and who gets the, who gets the rest, the owner of the capital, the owner, even yeah. though the owner of the capital did not create the value in the product. Right. So literally it's a kind of theft. Um, yeah. In so, so, so capitalism,
0: uh, creates, creates, separates people. So this is kind of a, a, I guess, a understanding of capitalism then of Mm -hmm. what does it do to a society then? Mm -hmm. So it it creates and divides people into different classes, just based on socioeconomic relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It it leads to the exploitation of the majority of the people Mm -hmm. uh, because the means of production are only owned by, by a few, um, and it it creates just this this class conflict, which must be overcome in Marxist view to lead to our true expression of freedom.
1: That's right. Yeah. And 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 and, and key here, right, is this structure not only creates uh, class conflict, right? That con- class conflict is primarily in one direction, at least in a, in yeah. a from a capitalist perspective, which is that you know they the owners of capital exploit labor, right? right? They degrade their humanity and steal the value, right? Alienate the value of the product that's made, right? Yeah. So those are the two, I mean, there's more to be said actually, but those are two key um, elements in, in seeing um, what is, not, is, is is ethically wrong right yeah with uh capitalism there are other things that marx has to say about that are sort of technically and economically wrong like he thinks that capitalism is an irrational unsustainable system that must collapse in on itself uh at a certain point yeah it's that necessary stage within uh, Mm -hmm. the view of history that leads this Mm -hmm.
0: Now, Can I go just a little bit further? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah,
1: go ahead. Okay. So I just want to talk about that just a little bit. So what he thinks is the reason he thinks that that it's uh, capitalism is ultimately irrational, right? Um, is that he thinks it creates the conditions for its own destruction, yeah. um, which is really interesting, right? And and the way it does that is through the exploitation of labor in mm-hmm. order to compete with other capitalists. It's not as if the capitalist I mean, capitalists like other capitalists, but they also want to be the biggest capitalist, right? <laughs> uh, because not all of them, but at least enough of them, right? Because that's, it's, it's put it this way. It, we don't speak this way, but the truth is, right? Society is a, capitalist society is a desperate struggle to maintain your social value and your freedom, right? Yeah. And, and because of that, right? The, and the way to do that is to get and keep capital, which makes it an inherently competitive system, you see how mm-hmm. that works, right yeah, so whatever nice things we may say, it's really me against my neighbor right and and I've gotta I gotta gotta get mine right, and so what you do then as a capitalist inevitably is well in order to stay competitive, you want to um, you want to produce at the cheapest level possible or the least mm-hmm. expensive level possible and there are various ways of, of controlling cost, but whether through innovation or whatever, uh really the 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 go-to most consistent way of, of reducing cost is by reducing the cost of labor. Yeah. Uh and so there's a constant pressure within a capitalist system to drive down the cost of labor. Why is that problematic? It's problematic because then it gradually impoverishes labor, what he calls the proletariat, right? right. Um who are the kind of disenfranchised worker, disenfranchised, even if he has the vote, doesn't matter. He doesn't have capital.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so uh, he's disenfranchised in the sense he doesn't have a real say in his economic relations. And he's being constantly impoverished because of this downward pressure on wages in order to keep, uh, in, uh, in order to be more competitive, right? So over time, what happens is, as he says, uh, as Marx says famously, that capitalism creates the grave diggers that will bury it right? Is that, that two things happen. One is the proletariat becomes so impoverished that they can't afford the goods that they produce.
0: And what that means
1: is a collapse in demand. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have some rich people that that are going to have demand, right. And uh, for goods and services, uh, but your broad swath of your population is going to be this impoverished proletariat who can't afford, Anything beyond just the means of survival, and so yeah. you have a collapsed demand which leads to the Great Depression. Uh, the other thing that uh, happens is eventually the, sus- the ability of the proletariat to get enough distribution to sustain life begins to evaporate, and mm-hmm. that's when the proletariat revolts, uh, yeah. and seizes the means of production for itself so that they can be free and survive. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> all right, we're going to have to do another podcast. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there's, to say. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. There's, there's, there's so much here Not not just with capitalism, but now you brought in, you know, the proletariat revolting against, you know, um, the capitalists, you know, this idea of, of, of revolution is kind of the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the car that we drive this, this, <laughs> you have history down, you know, yeah. uh, uh, brings up all sorts of uh, other questions and topics. Yeah. Um, gosh, I hate to end here, but we have to. Uh, <laughs> but I just want uh, to thank you, Dr. Smith, for, for guiding us through this thing. I want to invite all our listeners. Um, if you haven't listened to our first one, go back and listen to it. And please join us for the next one. Again, this topic is, is so important for us to, uh, to, to understand because many of these ideas are, are finding their way back into popular thought and uh, are, are starting to actually uh, uh, begin to um, enter into the realm of possibility. <laughs> and so it's important for us to, to recognize maybe some of those different aspects and try to refute them or at least understand them to the point of, you know, putting them on a road to correct, correction. Uh, and so I want to invite all our listeners, check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.